Good morning. We have lots to be thankful for this morning, uh, as Dad reminded us. Let's uh, open our Bibles this morning to uh, our passage in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 through 48. Um, just keep your, your uh, page open there for a minute. We'll get there in just a second. Um, we're coming to a close in this chapter. Uh, we've been talking about six different um, key points um, in this chapter 5 uh, that Jesus mentioned. At the beginning of this section of passages, though, Jesus boldly states to the crowd in Matthew 5.20, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Jesus was stating this at the beginning of uh, this section, and he's really saying, unless your righteousness at, at, your, at the level of your heart is really changed, um, if it's not like that, then you won't uh, enter into heaven. You have to have a righteousness that is above the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, because they had a righteousness that was more of an outward show to people to make themselves look good. Um, but Jesus is saying, I want to get to the, the root of the, the issue where your heart is. Um, so Jesus gets to the heart of the issue in these six topics. He states that anger is the same thing as murder. He says that lust is the same thing as adultery. So he says that marriage is sacred and binding. He says that we should not swear falsely, but we should tell the truth. He says that we should respond uh, to evil people with kindness. And finally, in this passage today, he says we should love our neighbor and we should love our enemy. So we're on the final passage where he calls us to love our neighbors and to love our enemies. But before we read the passage, I want to introduce it with a short biography of a man who really loved his enemies. This man, you may have seen the movie. Um, it's the movie Unbroken. It's a story of a man named Louis Zamperini. He was in the Air Force, and he is a man who really loved his enemies. He grew up humbly in Southern California. He ran in the 1936 Berlin Olympics, and he was on the cusp of becoming the first man to break the four-minute mile. But World War II interrupted his dreams, um, and he, instead of becoming uh, a gold medalist, he found himself on a bombardier on a B-24 Liberator flying over the Pacific. The plane crashed over the Pacific, and he was stranded on a life raft for 47 days with little food and water, and then he was captured by his enemy, the Japanese soldiers, and he was taken to Tokyo, where he was a prisoner of war for two uh, prisoner of war um, at a camp in Tokyo for two years. And it was led by a prison guard named Matsuhiro Watanabe, also known as the bird. The bird uh, knew of his um, big stance in the Olympics and wanted to make um, a lesson out of him for the other prisoners of war. So the bird beat Zamperini savagely only a glimmer of faith and a strong will allowed him to survive until the end of the war. 
he came home to a hero's welcome and married the girl of his dreams. But soon after, the wheels fell off and he became heavily involved into alcohol and uh, PTSD. Uh, he dealt with anxiety and fears of the war um, for several years. He became a very angry and bitter man and hated his enemy. Um, it just consumed him every day. He was physically, mentally, and spiritually devastated. The bottle and his own nightmares of the war did what the bird could never have done to him. He was broken. But thankfully, in 1949, Billy Graham had a crusade um, in Los Angeles, and Zamperini's wife, who was looking to file for a divorce because of his downward spiral, um, encouraged him to go to this um, Billy Graham crusade. The first day he didn't want to go, but he came back the second day and heard that Billy Graham was preaching about forgiving your enemies. Um, Zamperini thought about how much um, he hated his enemies, but he also remembered the day that he was on the life raft and he promised to God that if God would deliver him from that situation, that he would dedicate the rest of his life to God and telling other people how much God loves them. And he realized that he had not kept his end of the bargain on that promise. God had saved him from that and it had delivered him from the prisoner uh, of war camp. But Billy and <coughs> Zamperini had a choice to make. So he decided to give his life to God that day and devoted the rest of his days to helping others and forgiving his enemies. In 1952, he went back to Tokyo and went to all the former prison guards and forgave them. In 1998, he returned to Japan to be a torchbearer in the Winter Games, and he tried to meet his uh, captor, the bird, um, and he had heard rumors that he had died, but he was actually just uh, hiding at the time. Um, Watanabe refused to meet with Zamperini, but Zamperini forgave him anyways and wrote this letter to him, offering him forgiveness. To Matsuhiro Watanabe, as a result of my prisoner war experience under your unwarranted and unreasonable punishment, my post-war life became a nightmare. It was not so much due to the pain and suffering um, as it was the tension and stre of stress and humiliation that caused me to hate you with a vengeance. Under your discipline, my rights not only as a prisoner of war, but also as a human being were stripped from me. It was a struggle to maintain enough dignity and hope to live until the war's end. The post-war nightmares caused my life to crumble, but thanks to a confrontation with God through the evangelist Billy Graham, I committed my life to Christ. Love has replaced the hate I had for you. Christ said in the Bible, forgive your enemies and pray for them. As you probably know, I returned to Japan and I forgave all the other um, prison guards and I attempted to meet you, um, but I couldn't find you and I had heard that you had committed suicide, but I know that you're in hiding um, and are alive to this day. Um, at that moment and even now, I forgive you and hope that you would also become a Christian. Louis Zamperini. Louis Zamperini recognized God's forgiveness of his own sins. He actively pursued 
his enemies in order to forgive them, in order to love them. God calls us to love our neighbor and to love our enemies. And I pray that we could use Louis Zamperini as a bold example on how we should also love our enemies. Um, I want to just say that this is a very practical message. Um, the Bible is full of good information, good um, teaching, but at the end of the day, if you don't change your life as a result of um, hearing the word, what's the point? Um, so today is a very, very practical message. So I have uh, some papers I want to uh, have Matt hand out. Um, so it's very simple, just a couple questions on there and I'll guide you through it. It's um, how you're gonna love your neighbor and how you're gonna love your enemy this week. Um, so let's open our passage, uh, Matthew 5, 43 through 48. Uh, <clears throat> you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, <clears throat> what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor. In Leviticus 19.18, uh, we see where this, um, he's quoting from. He says, you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So who is your neighbor? Well, we can simply say is anybody that you know, literally people who live next to you who are your physical neighbors, poor people, rich people, um, your classmates, your friends, family, brother, sister, mother, mother, father, people you're sitting next to in church today, coworkers, your boss, people who love you, um, and people who don't love you as well. And we already know, you know, it's very obvious from the Old Testament that it's said multiple, multiple times that we should love our neighbor as ourselves. Um, this isn't anything new, um, but it is still um, good to do because if you don't love your neighbor, how are you going to love your enemy? So um, if you can do the easier part, it won't be so hard to do the harder part, which is loving your enemy. So I want to ask you, do you even love your neighbor or do you hate them? Do you bless your neighbor by wishing the best for them and their family? Or do you curse them and wish they weren't your neighbor? Do you do good to your neighbor by helping them when they're in need? Or do you do evil to your neighbor? Do you regularly pray for your neighbor 
and pray that God would supply them with all their needs? Do you care for them enough to ask them what is going on in their lives? So the first um, on the paper is, I want you to write down, I will show love to my neighbor, and then blank for the name of who it is, um, this week by however you're going to show love to them this week. This week I showed love to my neighbor. Um, He came over to say hi, and I was working on this message, and it came to mind up. Well, better love my neighbor. Um, um, so I gave him some food, um, some Rice Krispie treats to enjoy. And it's a very easy thing to do, to love my neighbor um, this week. So I want to challenge you to love your neighbor this week by um, keeping accountable and uh, following up on that. If you start by loving your neighbor, it will be much easier to love your enemy. Jesus says in verse 43 also, and hate your enemy. He says that you have heard it said, for those of old, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So who were the enemies um, at the time when Jesus was speaking these things? Well, from this passage, just um, it's quite obvious that they didn't like tax collectors. Um, it says later that even the tax collectors love their neighbor, you should do more. The tax collectors were a people that were despised by the Jewish people, but also by other surrounding nations as well. Um, They were under uh, the authority of the Roman um, government at the time, and they could basically charge you whatever they felt like. Um, If they felt like you had $1,000 in taxes today, I'm taking 1,000 and I'm giving, you know, couple hundred to the Roman government, but I'm pocketing the rest. Um, They were very greed, harsh, deceivers um, whenever they did their job. They overcharged when they had opportunities, and they brought false charges of smuggling and hopes of extorting hush money. They detained and opened letters um, on mere suspicion, and they were the least respected one of the least respected people groups in the Jewish community. They were regarded as traitors, uh, people that the Romans used to do their dirty work. To put it simply, the Jews hated the tax collectors and for good reasons. They were their enemies. Well, isn't it right to hate your enemy? Like, if they don't like me, shouldn't I also not like them back? I mean, even King David in the Old Testament talks about how much he hates his enemies, right? You guys have read different things. In, in the Psalms, even, King David says a lot about hating his enemies. In Psalm 139, 19 through 22, it says, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men. For they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them. With perfect hatred, I count them my enemies. You see, David's hatred towards his enemies was different than the typical hatred that we might have for somebody that is being mean to us just because they want to be mean to us. David had a hatred for his enemies because his enemies hated God. And it offended him that anybody would hate God. And so David considered people like that 
to be his enemies. He hated them with a righteous uh, justice and not for a personal vengeance like, I'm going to get you back for what you've done. Um, He left it to God to do. God says that vengeance is mine, I will repay. It's right to be angry with people um, who hate God, but it's not our place to do anything about it. It's God's, um, God's place to deal with the, the wicked. But our, our role really is to pray for them and wish that they would repent, wish that they would have a change of heart and to love them so that they would change and pray that God would show mercy on them. Um, it's not, I wish they would rot in hell, but I wish they would repent and be in heaven. Um, the Pharisees could have interpreted um, Leviticus 19.18 where it says, you shall love your neighbor as teaching that they should only love their, uh, their neighbors who love them back. And this passage where David talks about in the Psalms as meaning that obviously we should hate our enemies. But Jesus says that we need to love our enemies also. Verse 44 says, but I say to you, Love your enemies. If you love your enemies and you treat them well, you will truly show that Jesus is Lord of your life. So let's talk about who is your enemy. We just learned that the Jewish people had enemies, which were the tax collectors. Um, But who is your enemy? Just take a second to think about who you don't like in your life. Um, And who do you hate? Or who hates you? Is it somebody that you don't get along with? Is it somebody who doesn't love you back? Is it somebody who has a different religious view than you? Or somebody who has a different opinion uh, or political view? Or those who you won't sit next to at work or at church? Um, Or that coworker you don't like? Or um, your competition in business or your boss? Or is it a Samaritan in your life? somebody who curses you, somebody who hates you, somebody who spitefully uses you, and somebody who persecutes you. Do you think that you uh, have any enemies? Because when I was writing this sermon, I didn't think that I actually had any enemies that I hated. Like, I have people I don't get along with, I don't like, in the, but I don't, you know, wish somebody would die. I don't hate somebody for whatever they might have done to me. There's people I don't get along with that I'm, I have felt indifferent about. But Jesus doesn't say, love your neighbor and feel indifferent towards your enemy. He says, love your enemy. Because indifference is really standing still. It's, well, I don't love them, but I don't hate them. If I just ignore them, I hope they go away. Um, you know, it's, love is an action word. Love is calling us to do something about it. Somebody does something wrong to me, and Jesus is saying, love your enemy. Now I have to do something about it. I can't just let it slide under the rug and just ignore it, because that's being indifferent. He's not commanding us to be indifferent to our enemies. He's saying to love them. And really, God did this to us. God didn't see us in our sinful state and say, all right, I hope they just kind of deal with their problem and if I just ignore it, I hope it goes away. 
It says that God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So I want you to write down, I will show love to my enemy, blank, this week by however you are going to love them this week. I have a coworker um, who has vastly different uh, religious beliefs than me. She asked me why I believe what I believe. And instead of using it as, um, because technically the definition of an enemy is anybody who opposes you. So she is technically my enemy. Instead of using it as a platform for an argument as to why I'm better than you for what I believe, because um, that would do nothing, that would not lead to anything, I showed love to her by sharing the gospel with her in that opportunity. And as a result, I believe that she would be open to more opportunities in the future. So this week I showed love to my enemy, my coworker, by sharing the gospel with her. Jesus says in verse 44, bless those who curse you. In Romans 12, verse 14, it says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. I've been reading through um, the book of Genesis and just finished up recently. And it's interesting to read the story of Joseph. He had a lot to be angry about um, and for good reason, but he wasn't. He was 17 years old when his brothers stripped him of his coat of many colors and threw him in a pit without food and water. His brothers then sold him into slavery in Egypt, where he spent many years there, was falsely accused of rape, and was thrown in prison and forgotten about. But God raised up Joseph to a position of power through all of this. When his brothers came back into Egypt um, asking for food, Joseph was merciful to them. And when Jacob, um, their father, died, they looked to Joseph for forgiveness. It says in Genesis 50, verse 15 through 21, we see how Joseph blesses those who cursed him. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph saying, before your father died, he commanded saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of your servants of the God um, of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face and said, Behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Although Joseph had many enemies, he had every right 
to hate these enemies, his brothers, for what they did. But he did choose to love them. He chose to bless them by providing food for them and their children in the famine. And he even provided land for them to live in. He comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph loved his enemies by blessing them. So I want you to write down the third one. I will bless my enemy, blank, who curses me this week by however you're going to show love to them this week. Uh, in the past few months after I uh, graduated nursing school, um, passed the test to become a, a nurse, I was applying for jobs, and I told some of my classmates that, hey, it's um, really exciting. I think I might get a job here at St. Rose Hospital. Um, they're hiring, and I'm talking to them, and it sounds really promising. And some of my friends were like, that's so great. That's so awesome. I'm really happy for you. I'm really proud of you. And then I told it to other people. And the first thing they heard, uh, they said to me um, was that they cursed me and said, yeah, good luck with that. Who would hire you? You're not even qualified for that position. You don't deserve it. You're not good enough to get it. Why would they hire you? Um, and I mean, it's kind of shocking. I mean, I was kind of upset to hear these people who I thought I was um, friends with to say these things about me. Um, and they didn't say it to me, they said it behind my back. Um, but after recalling these verses, um, I forgave these people in my heart. Um, and I pray that God blesses these people, you know, that they would find jobs, that they would find their career and get a good uh, hours and good, uh, um, good pay and location. I mean, it hurts that they would say that to me because I don't, thinking back, I don't think I've done anything that would offend them, them to say that to me, but I, mean, I, I do pray that God blesses them. So I blessed my enemy by um, my classmates who cursed me by praying that God would bless them. Verse 44 says, do good to those who hate you. In 2 Kings, the Syrians, uh, who were the enemies of Israel at the time, were trying to surprise attack Israel. Um, but God caused the army to go blind, and Elisha led the army right before the king of Israel, where he could have easily destroyed them all. Uh, we see in 2 Kings 6, verse 21 through 23, Now when the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elijah, My father... Shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? But he answered, You shall not kill them. Would you kill those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set food and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. Then he prepared a great feast for them. And after they ate and drank, he sent them away, and they went to their master. So the bands of Syrian raiders came no more, into the land of Israel. Um, from these verses, you can see that the king's natural response was, okay, we've got our enemies right here. 
they literally walked in blind to our, um, our uh, kingdom. We can kill them right now really easily and solve this problem. Uh, let's do it. They hate us. We hate them. Let's just do it. Why would we show mercy to them? And that's the obvious choice. That's the easy route to take. But the harder and better choice that Jesus is calling us to do is to do good to those who hate us, to show love to our enemies. And after uh, the king showed the Syrian raiders love by feeding them and clothing them and giving them water to drink, they never came back. It says that they came no more into the land of Israel. We see the same um, idea in Romans 12, uh, 20 through 21. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The hope is that when you're doing good to your enemy, and you hope that you'll show the love of God to them, that you can bring conviction of sin to them. And that's what the heap coals of fire is, that you're doing good to them when they don't deserve it, when they know that you have the right to hate them, but you show them love instead. It makes them think about, I must be doing something that's really wrong, and you could use it as an opportunity to pray for them at that point too, and pray that it would lead to their repentance. When I was at the ice creamery, I had a coworker who caused strife in the workplace all the time. Nobody got along with her. Um, and she would intentionally do things to other people to upset um, them. Even though she had been talked to many times about stop doing this, this is annoying people, she would do it despite that, um, just because she could. And everybody was always frustrated with her. She didn't like any of us either. Um, towards the end of my time at the ice creamery though, I, um, when I picked up this message and reading through it, I realized um, my sin in this area because I was frustrated with her. I, I wouldn't say I hated her, but I didn't like her, and I considered her an enemy. But this passage is calling us to love our enemies and to do good to those who hate us. And so while I was still there, I replaced the hate that I had for her, and I cared for her and asked for things that I could pray for her, um, about her and her family, and it really changed the, um, the attitude of our relationship. Um, and I'm glad I left on those terms. So I want you to all write down, this week I will do good to my enemy, blank, whoever it is who hates me, this week by however you're going to do good and show love to them this week. Verse uh, 44 says, And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Uh, earlier in this passage, it says that blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Um, 
So if this is the case that you're being persecuted for righteousness sake, then this is a very, very happy uh, thing for you because you're blessed. And Jesus is promising that you're blessed in these verses. In America, we don't suffer persecution like other countries. Um, if you move to the Middle East, you could risk um, being executed for your faith. If you move to China, you could be in serious trouble with the law for having a, a Bible study. People have it in secret. In America, we have a lot of freedom that we take, it, um, take for granted. But there is religious persecution that we do face. It might not be as serious as ISIS knocking down our door, um, but we do face persecution. We could be ridiculed by our coworkers and family or friends. Like, why would you believe that? That's so stupid. You know, that's, you believe the Bible? That's so old and ancient. Um, you know, I, I've heard the comments and I'm sure you have too. Our culture makes it um, taboo to be a Christian and to hold on to your beliefs. Um, why can't you just get with the times? Why can't you just get along with us and accept us for who we are? Why can't you just let us be? Just um, don't try to change us. Um, so it is good to be persecuted for righteousness sakes, but it's also good to love these people who persecute you. When Stephen, in the book of Acts, was being, uh, when he was preaching the gospel to the Jewish council, they rose up immediately against him and stoned him to death. And in his dying breaths, while he was being stoned, he prayed that God would be merciful to his enemies. In Acts 7, verse 60, it says, Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So are there people who are persecuting you in your life? When you share the gospel with them, do they make fun of you or ridicule you? I challenge you to respond in love to them. Respond to your enemy by praying for them, for their salvation. So this week, I want you to write down, I will pray for my enemy, blank, who spitefully uses uh, me and persecutes me this week by however you're going to pray for them. So this week, I um, promise to pray for my enemies who persecute me when I share the gospel with them. So really, what's the, the point of all this? Um, of all these things. Why do we have to love our neighbor? And why do we have to love our enemy? Why, why is Jesus telling us these things? What's the goal? Well, we see in verse 45, it says, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. And it's not saying that this is how you become a son of God or this is how you become uh, a Christian, but it's, he's really saying this is, if you are truly saved, and transformed and forgiven. This is something that's an evidence of what you will do just naturally. It won't be that hard. It's saying this is an evidence that you are a son of God. If you do these things, you'll have a great testimony. And it's really like saying, like father, like son. Jesus did these things. God did these things. 
Now you do these things. Be like your Father in heaven. Jesus loved his neighbor, and he loved his enemies. Our goal is to become more and more like him every day. First um, John 4, 7 through 11 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everybody, everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And this, uh, in this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Let's see. Uh, verse 45 continues that he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So what character do we see of God in this? Well, we see that he is merciful to us. He is loving to us, and he is long-suffering. We can see that God loves the just. He loves those who love him, and he loves those who worship him. But also God loves the unjust. He loves those who hate him and those who despise him and want nothing to do with him. God cares for everyone, his neighbor and for his enemy. He doesn't only love those who are good to him, and so using him as an example, we should do the same. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. Um, really, he's saying, if you, like, if you love people who love you, but you do not love those who hate you, what's, what's the point? What makes you stand out from anybody else? Um, even the least respected people, the tax, collector, the, the tax collectors, did this uh, much. How much more should we, who have been changed, love our neighbor and even our enemies? The tax collectors would at least love their own kind, um, but you need to be different. You need to love your enemies also. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. If you greet your neighbor only, but you refuse to greet your enemy, what makes you any different than your enemy who doesn't know God? We see a parallel passage in Luke 6. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those to whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to the sinners to receive as much back, but love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, you shall be perfect, 
just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Therefore, do not murder in your heart by holding on to unrighteous anger. Therefore, do not commit adultery in your heart by lusting after others. Therefore, do not divorce except for sexual immorality. Therefore, do not swear falsely, but tell the truth. Therefore, respond to evil people with kindness. Therefore, love your neighbor and love your enemy, even when they don't love you. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Well, who can do this? Um, perfection seems pretty impossible, um, if I had to say so myself. Um, Bill McDonald says in his commentary that the word perfect must be understood in the light of the context. Um, it doesn't mean that he's commanding us to be sinless or flawless because in our bodies that is not possible until um, we get to heaven. The previous verses really just explain that perfect means to love those who hate you, to pray for those who persecute you, and to show kindness to both your friend and your enemy. Perfection is more of a spiritual maturity that enables you to imitate God in dispensing blessing to everybody without um, partiality, because God does not show partiality. He loves the just and the unjust. He loves his neighbor and his enemy. He causes it to rain and shine on both. So we should love our neighbor and our enemy. And really, in conclusion, who else is a, the greatest example of all except, um, except God of how we should follow this, uh, this command? We were his enemies, yet he loved us enough to send his son to die on the cross to take away our sins. We cursed him, yet he blessed us with eternal life. We hated him and nailed him to the cross, um, but Christ did good to us by taking our place on the cross. And we spitefully used him and persecuted him by killing him, but he prayed as he was dying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So love your, enemy, love your neighbor, love your enemy. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. I want to close with this encouragement. In Ephesians 5, 1 through 2, it says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love. As Christ has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. I hope that in this week and really throughout the rest of your lives that you will use, um, just have a change of mind, a change of heart, that you won't let people become your enemy, but you'll let them become your neighbor. Let them be somebody that you love and really care for. Because if you hate your enemy, what, what testimony do you have to them? You know, you're, they're going to hate you back. 
and they're not going to love you. But if you love your neighbor, you do what's unnatural to you, what only God can allow you to do. Then you'll have such a great testimony to them and have such a great opportunity to pray for them and hopefully see their soul saved. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this, um, this passage. It's very convicting. We pray that we'd be able to uh, apply this to our lives in the, in the next week, month, and the rest of our lives, that we'd be able to be a people who are changed. And um, we really just pray for conviction of heart here, um, especially in my own life. Uh, Lord, we, we thank you for this passage, and we um, thank you for your word in your name. Amen.